All right, is it working now? <laughs> Thank y'all. God bless y'all. Okay, again, this is Paul Dugas, the Feast of Prophecy. This is Joseph Good, Rosh Hashanah, uh, the Messianic Kingdom to Come. Excellent, excellent book. This is also uh, a book. This is Chaim uh, Schwaus, I believe is how you say his name, the Jewish festivals. This is a little bit more concerning the history of them. So if you really get into the history of the feast, that's a pretty good book. This book right here, The Jewish Holidays by Michael Strassfield, very, very in-depth. It goes into every detail, every aspect, the way they worship God during these feasts, all the things that they ate, the way they prepared them, very, very in-depth, all right? Uh, the Feast of Israel, this is by uh, Kevin J. Connor. This is an awesome book right here. If you just want a basic understanding of the feast and the details of the feast, this is awesome, okay? So these are just some of the books that you might want to get because I have no, no intention of teaching you. As you can see, I'd be here forever. <clears throat> and I've got a lot to teach you, so I'm just going to focus as much as I can on stuff because when we finish Leviticus, we're going to go to another book. And there's a lot in the Word of God that we need to study, so praise God. <clears throat> Somebody, Sister Angie, asked me, well, why, don't we, why don't you just slow down a little bit and, and we'll just stay right there. And I said, well, we've got a whole Bible to teach. <laughs> so... And there's a lot, lot of stuff that we need to know, okay? <clears throat> Praise the Lord. First thing, Leviticus chapter 23, in the word of the Lord today. <clears throat> Verse 1, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feast. Six days shall, you work, shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. First thing that we're going to deal with is the Sabbath day. That is on a Saturday. That is the seventh day. This Sunday that we worship today is the first day of the week. This is not the Sabbath day. And we do not uh, proclaim it a Sabbath day. In fact, our Sunday worship service is not... We find our rest in the Spirit, but the Sunday worship service is not primarily set apart to be a day of rest. The Sunday worship service is primarily set apart to be a day of worship. Okay? So when you say the Sabbath day, you're not talking about Sunday. Because this is a day of worship. The Sabbath day, the seventh day was on a Saturday. It was, uh, the aspects of it was for rest primarily, and it's totally different in the way it's approached. Okay? So this isn't the Sabbath, all right? But God told them that they would work six days, and the seventh day would be a day of rest unto them. It was a holy convocation. It was an appointed time. Say an appointed time. It was actually, a convocation is not just an appointed time, but it is a rehearsal service. So that everything that we're going to study is rehearsing, uh, and it's recital for things that are going to come. That's why they were appointed times, because they are prophetic in what, uh, what they did and what they taught. They are showing specific times that are going to take place in the future. A holy convocation, so number one is an appointed time. It's a recital, it's a rehearsal, and then the beginning of it is a Sabbath day unto the Lord. So that you didn't just have the, the seventh day Sabbath every week of the month, but you also had Sabbath days that were relating to the feast and they were called holy convocations unto the Lord also so that in in one week's time you could have two Sabbath days and that's important for you to understand because 
when we get and we look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, there were two Sabbath days in that week, right? So anyway, so that you understand this. So the sixth, they said, God said, work six days, but the seventh day or the Sabbath day is a holy convocation. It is an appointed time. It is a recital for something that's going to come. He said, you need to observe that in your dwelling. So let's look at, first of all, and I'm not going to do this on all of these feasts, but just to show you how much you can get into the study of all these different feasts and the way they celebrated them I'm just going to go through the Sabbath day and show you their service the way that they uh, observed the Sabbath day <clears throat> the Sabbath day look up here if you would please beginning on Friday evening <clears throat> the way that they started the Sabbath day of course the Jewish day begins at the evening time from 6 in the evening back around to six in the evening it doesn't be begin in the morning but it begin in the evening but six o'clock okay so that whenever the Friday came along Friday evening they were going to get ready for the beginning of the Sabbath day so what they would do in their services and these Jewish people uh, would get together they would welcome the Sabbath day and they would begin to sing and praise and literally sing and praise and and worship and get full of joy and full of victory and welcome the Sabbath day that was going to come and they would sing certain Psalms they would sing Psalm 92 95 96 97 98 99 29 and they would do all of this singing in white robes okay and it was a very very joyful time when they laid down their burdens they laid down their labors and they were focusing on God somebody say hallelujah <clears throat> so it was a picture of rest now this was a recital it was a rehearsal of something that was going to come look over here on the chart this is the kingdom age right here <clears throat> this is going to take place in the seven thousandth year history of man right now look if you'll just look approximately 2000 year church age it's 1998 so we're getting close to the end of the church age seven year tribulation period following that and then after the seven year tribulation period the thousand year kingdom age from Adam here all the way to the end of the church age approximately 6,000 years so we've been almost 6,000 years in this earth and it's called man's day the day of the Lord is going to begin with what the nighttime the nighttime that's the way the Jewish day starts it's going to begin in the nighttime of the tribulation period it's going to end up in the the Sun the coming of the Son of God the Son of righteousness which will begin the day of the Lord and that's the daylight all right when it will be a full, full orb day where God in his glory is upon the earth but it's the seven thousandth year of man's history when the Lord is going to set up this day. So we've almost covered six thousand years of man's history. The tribulation period is soon to start. And then the seventh day, the millennial kingdom, a day of rest and celebration and joy and victory where you've laid down your, uh, your labors and your burdens and you're going there and you're worshiping God and you're praising the Lord. It's an exciting time. <clears throat> And it's a time that's very, very close. It's not a long ways off. We're about to finish the day of man, and the day of the Lord is about to begin, all right? <clears throat> but what they would do is, they, because of this, they would look at the, the coming of the Sabbath literally as the coming of a bride. 
And so it was a tremendous thing because they looked at the Sabbath day in relation to Revelation chapter 21. I'm not going to turn there. But you will see in Revelation 21, the Bible says there's a holy city, the New Jerusalem. You see it right there? It's called the Bride of the Lamb. The holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. And so what you see is this Sabbath day is all pointing to the future kingdom age. Now, it's very, very difficult for you to try to figure out when the New Jerusalem is going to come down. All right? Is it going to come down at the beginning of the kingdom or at the end of the kingdom? Okay, I challenge you to study that because it's not, it's not as clear as you would think it is. I used to teach that it came down after the kingdom age, but the more that I study, there's a great possibility that it's going to come down at the beginning of the kingdom age. Okay? So what, they, what you see then, the coming of the bride. And who's the bride? It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the new Jerusalem is where the bride's going to be. We're not going to live in heaven. We're going to live in a city. It's called the new Jerusalem. Now, we call it heaven, but we're gonna, we are associated with a city. That's why it's called the bride, the Lamb's wife in Revelation 21. So this Sabbath day that they observed was looking to the future. It was an appointed time. It had prophetic significance to it. It was a time of rejoicing, time of celebration. When they put white robes on them, read Revelation 19, you see the, the Lamb's wife clothed in white garments. And all these psalms are sung here. So that, that's the way they looked at this right here. And also on the Sabbath day, uh, on, the, on the Friday evening, a woman would light two candles. And it's, it's significance because if you read Zechariah chapter 4, you will find out that there are two witnesses that are witnesses of God. And they, the Bible says, are standing here in this, this candelabra. Uh, they are poor. There is oil that is coming out. And these, these witnesses or these two men are testifying about the Messiah. Y'all remember that. Read it if you, have, if you don't remember it. Now, these two witnesses, some say, are um, Moses and Elijah. I don't know who they are for sure. But nonetheless, there's going to be two witnesses talking about in the tribulation period. They're going to rise up and they're going to testify to the glory of God. And they're witnesses about the Messiah that is going to come in the tribulation period. These men are testifying about the coming of Messiah. So that this lady here, hallelujah, has, has lit these two candles. And they are a visible sign of those two witnesses. And these two witnesses are going to be what? Witnesses to who? The light of the world. Okay. Now, isn't it significant that they chose a woman to do it? <clears throat> Why didn't a man light those candles? Well, it was through a woman that man fell. And it was through a woman that man is redeemed. And through a woman that the light of the world is going to come back. Remember the promises in Genesis chapter 3? God told that woman, He said, Your, uh, your seed is going to bruise the head of the serpent, the seed of the woman. So she's the one that got tempted. Adam fell, of course, but she was the first one to be tempted and to be deceived. Okay? And then she gave the fruit to Adam, and Adam ate it. And then, of course, as a result of that, him being the head of all the race, he plunged our whole uh, humanity into sin. But she's the one that caused the lights to go out. Or actually began 
began it. Adam's the one that ha really caused the lights to go out. <clears throat> but the woman started it. She's the one that got over by, the, the, by the, the switch that she wasn't supposed to be playing around with. But thank God, by the, that's this just like God. It's just like God to take the woman that was tempted and use her to bring the light of the world back into the world through Jesus Christ. Because <clears throat> it shows you the awesome grace. God is just an awesome God. The more you study the Word of God, the more awesome He becomes to you. So we see this woman here is lighting this right here. Uh, and again, as I said, the light comes back and is restored back to us. And that's why they did this, because they're looking to the future. And they're, they're, they're hoping for the light to come. Amen. Third thing they did was they would lift up a cup. And they would lift, take this cup and they'd lift it up with their right hand. This cup is full of wine. Not, not of course, uh, fermented wine. It's, it's a non-fermented wine. It's full of wine. And what is the wine? When you think about the red wine, what do you think about in the Word of God? Think about the blood. Alright? The Word of God talks about the wine is a type of joy. It's a type of victory. Also, the wine in, in this particular Sabbath day was uh, associated with the marriage because they were caught up in this concept the Sabbath day is the bride coming. Alright, so you've got this wine representing the blood, the wine representing joy, it represents marriage. They take this cup, the men do, one of the men do lift it up before God with the right hand. It's all talking about Jesus. He is the right arm. God said, my own right arm brought the salvation. He is the right arm of God. So it's talking about Jesus Christ. Even the lifting up of the cup is all about Him. Somebody say Amen. <clears throat> So it's the right hand symbolic of Messiah, it's and the blood, or the, the wine that's in it, symbolic of the blood, joy, and marriage. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And then, uh, the next thing they would do, there would be a call to worship. And the high priest goes all the way back to Aaron. He would walk out on the, uh, the beginning of the Sabbath day. There are, of course, this is it, Friday evening. He would call all the camps to begin to worship, to begin to prepare for the Sabbath day, to begin to rejoice in the Lord, to lay down their burdens and all of their labors and just focus on God and celebrate this time, this holy convocation called the Sabbath day. And so he would scream out, he would shout out, uh, calling them to worship. And it is said that a miracle takes place or took place when Aaron did that. The camp was about six to nine miles wide. And he didn't have a microphone. But he walked out there, he lifted up his voice, he called the assembly to begin to worship on the Sabbath day, and miracles of miracles. His voice traveled for six to nine miles so that every person, every ear in the camp heard that the Sabbath day was coming and get ready to worship. My God is an awesome God. To the furthest tent out there, they heard the, the shout that the Sabbath day is coming. Prepare to assemble. Prepare to worship. Prepare to celebrate. Lay down your burdens. Lay down your labors and worship God. Come and find your rest in Him. <clears throat> Woo! Then after that, they called to worship. They would read the Shema. Now, everybody remains, remembers what that is. The Shema, the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Amen? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all of thy strength. 
And they would read that on the Sabbath day, and the people would stand up and proclaim, He is the Lord. He is one. He is one. He is one God. How many of y'all know how many there is? There's only one. So on the Sabbath day, they proclaimed, He is one Lord, and repeated it over and over. So we have, again, the fundamental doctrine of the Word of God is read here, but Jesus called it the greatest of all commandments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hallelujah. If that word excites you, nothing will. To know who Jesus Christ is, that He's God come in the flesh. If that don't give rest to your soul, nothing will. If that won't, let me t listen to me. If that won't give you satisfaction, nothing will give you satisfaction. Now, all of this was pointing back to when? It's pointing to the future, but it was pointing back to the seventh day, right there. Remember after God created everything that He had made six days, and on the seventh day the Bible said He rested from all that He had made? It doesn't mean that He was tired and He laid down and took a rest. What does it mean when it says that He rested from His labors? It means that He was satisfied. So that when you, when you have Jesus and you know who He is, you ought to be satisfied. <laughs> It's like after six days of creation, God just stands back and says, Oh, that's so good. And you'll read it in Genesis. He said, after each one of those days, I believe, except particularly one day, He said, It is good. Whew. I can't do anything else to what I've done. I, I can't do it any better. God said, It's good. I'm satisfied. So after six days of creation, he stands back from the whole thing and said, Oh, it's all good. I'm satisfied. That's what it means to rest or in concerning God, is that you're satisfied. If you did something, you painted a picture. After you toiled and labored and worked to get that picture, you stand back from the picture and you say, Oh, that's good. I, I can't improve upon that. And that's what it's talking about when you're talking about God rested. Somebody say amen. Well, while I'm thinking about it, let me tell you what it means when, God, when the Bible says God hates. That doesn't mean he has some type of emotion. It means that he separated himself from something and will not join himself to it. So we've got to understand the, the terminology when we come to the Word of God. Now, after this call to worship and the reading of the Shema, there are what is called the standing prayers. There are a total of 18 prayers that they would pray. But on this particular day, they would only pray seven of them because they were focusing on God. The other prayers had to do with their prayer for themselves or praying for somebody else. God said, I don't want you praying for yourself, and I don't want you praying for somebody else on the Sabbath day. I want you to focus on me. So they would walk in. They, this, this, this is what they would do. They would take three steps. Let me see first. Three steps back. They'd walk backwards. And then they would take three steps forward, and they're bringing their prayers. So why would they do this? They bow down before God, going three steps back, and then three steps forward. Because they are showing by their actions that they know they're approaching the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. <clears throat> so they're going to walk in there reverentially or reverently. They're not just going to go in their old slipshod way like we do in American Christianity. Here I am, God accepted whether you like it or not. Forget it! Man, they reverenced God. They had a holy reverence for God. So they backed up first. They said, oh, 
I'm going in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I, when I walk in His presence, I'm going to bow myself down. And I'm going to move backwards and forwards like this because I'm coming in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And those prayers that they would offer up to God was glorifying God. They would talk, they would talk about Him. Hallelujah. They say, God, you're awesome. God, you're the creator. You're the resurrector. You are the life. You are the light. Whatever, man. They were just, they were caught up in God. Hallelujah. Well, when I look at this and study this, I think, man, God, have mercy on us. <clears throat> yeah, we come to church, go to sleep. <laughs> Wake up, everybody. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, then Saturday morning comes along. Then they, guess what they do? The same thing approximately. They read the Shema again, repeating it. Then they have their prayers again, which is the standing prayers. And then, they, then the Torah is read, which is the law. The first five books of the Old Testament is the law. And they would read that book uh, during this uh, Saturday service, this morning service. And what they would do is they would read approximately six chapters at least. Hallelujah. After they read the law, the Torah, then they would read the prophets. And the prophets were not just, you know, selected at random. They were the prophets that related to the law. So they'd read the law, and then they'd find prophets that were related to what they read, and then they'd read the prophets, all right? Then they would go to the Psalms, and they would read the Psalms there on this uh, Saturday morning. And then around noon, noon time, now, by the way, this is, they started at 6 o'clock in the morning, and they went all the way to 12 o'clock, hallelujah, about six-hour service. <clears throat> reading the word, reading the prophets, reading the Psalms. I just preach out of one book. Y'all get tired? What if I preached out of the, 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 the law and the prophets and the Psalms all in one service? But there they are uh, for six hours just worshiping God. Of course, they had a Friday night too, you know. <clears throat> and of course, uh, then at around 12 o'clock, then they start discussing the sacrifices and we've gone through the holy sacrifice Leviticus they would sit there and they'd talk about it. hey this the sacrifice uh, the the sin offering or the trespass offering or the meal offering or whatever they sit there and talk about all these offerings here see they're getting focused on the sacrifice somebody say praise the Lord <clears throat> well if that was not enough and I like to say that Saturday evening church again hallelujah they come to church again, praise the Lord. Thank God. Hallelujah. Somebody say it's not enough to get one time. <clears throat> it wasn't enough. So they got together. And the same thing as the morning service, but the Torah was not read at that particular time. They would, it would be followed by, of course you follow this down, and then followed by a meal. And it's really the, the meal of the Lord. And they were going to get together, sit down at that table, and they were going to fellowship with God Himself. They were going to commune with God. I mean, it was a time where, where He's with them and they're with Him. And they're enjoying this meal. It's the meal of the Lord. Hallelujah. But it was a long meal. A long one. And they would sit there and they would sing to each other. They would sing the Psalms while they ate this meal. All right? And then as, as, as the evening service was about to close after having this time of, of reading and this time of singing and rejoicing and this eating of this meal the guests as they prepare to leave they fill a cup right and this cup is filled with wine and it overflows 
cup overflows. And it's in this little basin, this little saucer. And this, this wine overflows this cup into this saucer right here so that you could look down, you could see in that saucer this red wine. Right? Somebody say amen. And so what they were trying to do was they were trying to focus on God. Everything that had just happened during this Sabbath day of worship and rest, they didn't want to forget that because they're fixing to go home and they're going to have to start their days again of working and laboring. But they didn't want, God didn't want them to lose focus on Him. He didn't want them to lose focus on how awesome He is and the rest that He provides. So they said, well, we got to get this cup. we got to overflow it because we don't want to forget that the blessings of the Lord when they come to us are overflowing. David said, and if you keep in mind throughout the Word of God when I'm teaching you, David said, my cup overfloweth. He knows about these Sabbath day worship ceremonies. So that the blessing of God, listen, I'm not half full today, I'm overflowing. <clears throat> the blessing of the Lord is not to my knee, the blessing is over my head. I've got an abundant blessing, and I love to walk in that blessing, and I love to recognize it. And it doesn't matter what's happening, listen, you can look at the laborers, and you look at the toil, and look at the burdens that are all around you, and lose focus on the fact that God has given you an abundant blessing, overflowing. God is saying, don't be so focused on this present that you forget that I'm the one that blesses you to overflowing. <clears throat> All right. And then they, at this time, they would sing Isaiah 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. It talks about, with joy shall you bring from the waters the well. Uh, with joy shall you bring up from the wells the, the water of salvation. So they're singing about the salvation of the Lord. And it's an awesome, awesome time of celebration. And each one of them take a sip of that cup saying, hey, that's the blessing of the Lord. That's the blood of the Lord Jesus that when it comes. That's the blood of Messiah. That's the joy of Messiah. That's the marriage situation with Messiah. Oh, man. Come on, somebody. Say amen. And then also they take the spices. They had a bunch of spices. And they were all mingled together, sprinkled together. And they put them in this little saucer, this plate. And they would spread them around before they left. And they would smell those spices. Somebody say amen. So that what God wanted them to realize is that each one of those people that were smelling those spices was uh, represented by one of the spices. So that each one of us today are individual. We are different I am different from you. You are different from me. We all have a different smell or different odor. Not, in, not all together in the physical, but it's the truth in the spiritual, see. <clears throat> but see, when you come together in the assembly, you put it all together, all the spices, all the individuality of the people, and you go into that place worshiping God and magnifying God and entering into His rest, understanding that we all have an individual part to play in the church. That's why it's real important that everybody comes because everybody's got a part. And if you don't show up, then part of the spices are gone. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Well, if you read Isaiah 13, the Bible talks about that God takes up the spices, puts them to his nose, and goes. <sighs> and what Isaiah 13 is showing you is that whenever you come to God and you rejoice and you begin to praise him, then he will take those that are rejoicing in him and he'll lift them to his nose and say, oh, that's my people. Hallelujah. 
so that when I come to church, I'm not just getting excited about Him, and I'm not just praising Him. Do you know that God gets excited about you when you come in there, hallelujah, and you lift your hand and tell Him, I love you, Lord. I appreciate you, God. I just think you're awesome, God. And you send up a little bit of incense. He says, oh, I enjoy my people. How many of y'all enjoy the Lord? Well, he enjoys me too. Some of y'all say, well, he can't enjoy me. <clears throat> yeah, if you come in there and you worship and rejoice, listen, he's looking for somebody that will praise him. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your religious background is. If you'll learn to lift your hands and lift your voice and shout praises unto God and learn how to dance before the Lord and learn how to leap before God, God's going to lift you up and say, Oh, I enjoy that. Forget that dried up religious stuff. That doesn't glorify God to go and sit somewhere in a pew and hear liturgy and just hear somebody go through things. Man, God wants you to come in there and participate. He wants you to experience Him. He not only wants you to experience Him, He wants to experience you. Oh, come on somebody. So it's a relationship. I mean, I was raised in religion. I know you can have that, man. I signed the paper said, I don't want that. I got in the kingdom of God where it's alive and it's supposed to be powerful and it's supposed to be worship and praise. It's supposed to be joyful. If you're not enjoying your walk with God, something missing. You are supposed to enjoy God. You're supposed to enjoy living for God. You're supposed to enjoy everything that He's made. Somebody say amen. Well, I'm okay. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I look at some Christians, look like they, they, they went to the wrong smelling factory. And I'll, I'll go on. <laughs> like, like, you, like if you smile or you're happy and you're joyful, you, get, you, you, you backslid or, you know, you're in sin. Oh, you don't know God. Get a life. Get a life. Hallelujah. Man, you know, God, there's nothing greater. There's nothing more awesome. <clears throat> Woo. All right. Thank you, Jesus. So they would do this right here. And then, of course, we, Isaiah 13. And then <clears throat> they took a candle. And this candle was braided together. It had, most of the time, more than one candle. Two candles, three candles, sometimes four candles, all braided together. And they would light that candle. They're fixing to leave, right? They would light that candle, and what they would do is they would take that candlelight and they would put it in. Remember the saucer that got the, the, the overflow? They took that candle that was burning the light. Who's the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world. And they would take that candle and they would dip it down into that red wine. And you would hear it sizzle. And it was, it was struggling and it was fighting to keep burning, right? All a picture of Jesus Christ and, and, uh, when He came, hanging on a cross, suffering in agony and in pain, and then dying for us. And He temporarily dies. But at that particular time, those other people would take their candles and they would light them. And they say, His candle went out so my candle could be lit. And they would walk out of that place and they were rejoicing and they were celebrating. They got the light of the world because the light of the world came and died for them. 
I'm not sitting in darkness today. I know who I worship. I know who I serve. I know what he did for me. He lit my candle. He set me on fire. You know what all of this is saying? The overflowing cup, the spices, the light. You know what they would do with that candle? They would take the candle and they would cause it to pass, pass by their hands. Habakkuk 3, verse 3, it tells you that Jesus is the light of the world. Oh, he says he has light coming out of his hands. So what they do, they let that candle pass through their hands. They would look and they would see that light. Woo, and it's coming through their hands. And it's saying, that's Messiah right there. He's the light of the world. His light's coming out of his hands. <laughs> but they would let it get real close to their hands. So they could feel the warmth of the candle. They could feel the heat from the candle. And so what God is trying to show us in these Sabbath ceremonies is that when you come to the house of God, you need to experience God. Every aspect of your life should experience God. From what you're smelling, from what you're tasting, from what you're feeling with your hands, from what you're seeing. God said, I want you to experience me in every way. Woo. That means it's going to affect your feet. It's going to affect your hands. It's going to affect your mouth. It's going to affect your, everything about you. God tries to show you when you come to church, if you haven't experienced in Him in every possible way, hey, get back in there until you do. You don't have the Holy Ghost yet? Don't, don't quit until you get it. Until you get Him. But I haven't spoken in tongues. But don't stop. Just keep worshiping. And you will speak in tongues. Because everything in you is going to experience God. The thing about it is, is, do we want to settle for religion or do we want Jesus? Come on, somebody. It takes a long time for God to get religion out of some of us. But that's okay. Just keep going to church and keep experiencing Him. Pretty soon you're going to look back at your old religious life and say, I can't believe I was trying to even serve God that way. Because there's something so much better than religion. It's experiencing God in every aspect and every area of your life. <clears throat> Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you what? Rest. You feel, you feel burned down tonight, today? You feel full of labor right now? Jesus said, whatever it takes, get to me. Now, I know Jesus came to us. I know he did. But here, he's telling you, if you won't rest, get to him. Yeah. Come unto me. I'll wait over here. When you come, then you'll find your rest. But until you come, you cannot find your rest. God's trying to show you something there. It's available to you, but until you come and experience him for yourself, you're not going to experience rest or peace. So if you're full of labor, you're heavy laden right now, that means from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you've got sin, Isaiah 1. He said, come unto me and I'll give you rest. I'll forgive your sins. I'll give you peace. I'll give you joy. I'll give you victory. <clears throat> so what I'm trying to tell you is all this right here is just a shadow talking about him and our experience. 
Are you here? <clears throat> Isaiah 28 verse 11. What does the scripture say? Well, he tells us in Matthew there, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Isaiah 28 and 11 talks about, With stammering lips and another tongue, will he speak to this people? And what does God say it is? This is the rest wherein I'll cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. So that when you experience God in you, you experience the rest of God. And when you speak in tongues, uh, he says, with stammering lips and another tongue, well, he says, with stammering lips and another tongue, will I, what you, what, I just quoted it. Yeah, will I speak unto this people? For this is the rest when you cause the weary to rest, this is the refreshing. You know, sometimes God really helps me with my scripture quote. <laughs> See, when you get the Holy Ghost, that's when you experience the Sabbath. That's when you experience the rest. Because the rest is not in a, in a day. The rest is in a person. That's why Sunday isn't the Sabbath day. Sunday's a time of worship. <clears throat> you say, man, if this is a day of rest, boy, I'm, more, I'm tired of when I leave church. Well, that's right, because you don't understand that the day is not the rest. God is the rest. Sunday's full of activity. Sunday's worship time. All right, are you, are you here? Now, they, they went through the ceremonies trying to find rest. Joshua tried to bring them into the promised land so they'd find rest. They never found rest for their souls. So Hebrews 4 and all these verses I'm telling you, the rest is found in Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual rest. You've got to hear me. Now, does that mean that we, we couldn't observe this? Go ahead. Do it. Enjoy it. But it's not going to save you, but it's going to reveal, just like it's revealing to you the things of God right now, if we were to celebrate the Sabbath day, it would show you what God is and what He's done for you, that He is your rest. Well, I don't believe that, brother. Well, listen to me, honey child. Every day of my life is a Sabbath day because I've got God in me. If, if I want to observe this on the Sabbath day, don't judge me because I'm trying to find out more about God and what He's done for me. What I know about those Seventh-day Adventist people, well, hey, they might have a little bit more understanding than what you realize on some things. Oh, somebody say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. See, I told you before, the ceremonial law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Are you here? But the, the, the revelation that is in it is still for us. All right, I'll get back on the Sabbath day and explain to you, should, uh, you know, get some more on it, okay? Now, why do we come on Sunday then if it was Saturday in the Old Testament? Well, I'll show you before it's all over. Somebody say praise the Lord. <clears throat> but aren't you glad today that you've got the rest of God in you? It's called the Holy Ghost. It's called Jesus. Come unto me all you laboring and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Yeah, praise the Lord. Boy, I wish when I went to church on Sundays, I'd be a little bit more rested. No, you, time, it's time to go, man. <laughs> oh, it's time to get with it. It's time to worship. It's time to celebrate. <clears throat> I'm so tired. I want to share something with you. Listen, listen to me, all right? Listen, listen. Did you know the Jewish people 
when they observed the Sabbath, literally observed the Sabbath day in the Old Testament, they worked six days and observed the Sabbath day. Do you know that God doubled their accomplishments when they observed the Sabbath day? Do you know that if they worked on the Sabbath day, that they didn't accomplish in seven days what God allowed them to accomplish in six? If you don't have time to come and worship God, you're missing out, man. Because if you'll come to worship God and experience Him, you will be able to accomplish more in six days than you could ever accomplish in seven. But brother, I just, I just, I just, about, about one service a week is all I can go. Well, because I'm so busy. You just don't know. You just don't know. God said, hey, you know what? If you'd shut yourself down some and just start focusing on me. He said, I can double more in six days than you can accomplish in seven. <laughs> Hallelujah. Man, I've, listen, now, I'm not telling you to do this, but I'm telling you what I did because I felt God telling me one time. I've quit jobs because they wouldn't let me go to church. And it wasn't no job that, well, you know, he, he didn't want it anyway. No, they were promoting me to management. Don't want it. It's keeping me from church. Because God, listen to me, God can bless me and I can accomplish more with Him than I can accomplish without Him. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And I'm not doing too bad. I mean, I, I'm lit. I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, I know it's the truth, man. And I'm not telling you, sister. I know your situation. Don't say that. She, every time I preach to you, well, it's to me. <laughs> no, you're here. You're here. You're here. When, I know. Okay, I know. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Somebody shout, praise the Lord. God will make a way for you. You don't worry. If your, heart, if your heart is for Him and you want to make some changes, God will make a way for you. All right? You don't worry. You don't worry. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Somebody say it's a holy convocation. Holy. Holy, because it's all about Him. Well, does that bless you today? That blesses me today, man. <clears throat> Well, let's go a little bit further. <clears throat> Passover is the actual feast, first feast for the Jewish people. We read in verse 5, chapter 23. <clears throat> in the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. Say the Lord's Passover. He's the one who instituted all these. He instituted the Sabbath day. Listen, but the Sabbath day was already here. When he came to the Jewish people, he said, remember the Sabbath day. He's already here. It wasn't something new. He just said, here's a specific day so you can remember. All right? Now the Passover, now I want to share this with you. In my study, I blow, I'm, it's blowing my mind. But the more I'm studying, the more I'm learning. I found out as I studied the Passover in depth that they were already doing this before Egyptian release. You know why? Because they recognized that God was good. And they brought in a harvest or whatever. They celebrated a Passover. This is harvest time. Are you with me? It's a festival unto God. They were already doing it before the Egyptian separation. So God is just, hey, okay, this is what you do as a farmer or whatever. Now we're going to give it spiritual significance. And this is now why you're going to observe it. So here's a feast that I want you to celebrate. Okay.
And it's on the 14th day of the first month. Now, it became the first month when they came out of Egypt. It wasn't the first month when they came out of Egypt, but it came, became the first month so that you have two calendars in Israel. You've got a civil calendar and you've got a religious calendar. Okay, hang in there. <clears throat> so on the 14th of the day of the month, God said, you are uh, to observe my Passover. But it became, as time went, their Passover. It became a Jewish thing instead of a God thing. It became a ritual thing instead of a God thing. Jesus, when he came, he said, the feast of the Jews. Because now, listen to me. If you get, I don't care if you're Pentecostal. I don't care if you're apostolic. If you get a dry and dead ceremonial ritual in Pentecostal apostolicness, you have nothing more than the Jews did. It's no more God. It's not a God thing anymore. It's a you thing. <laughs> but see, God says it's a feast of the Lord. Look at it with me if you would. Verse 4. In verse 5. In the 14th day of the first month, that is even. At even is the Lord's Passover. Hallelujah. Now write 1 Corinthians 5, 7 beside that. Because Paul says that Jesus Christ is our Passover. So that again, it's an appointed time. It's a rehearsal. It's a recital of something that's going to take place prophetically in the future. And the first feast is Passover, uh, Pesach. And it is uh, with, four, with three other feasts, a total of four feasts, celebrated in the springtime. So when it says the first month, this is March or April the 14th. And it's spring feast. The first four feasts are about what? Prophetically. His first coming. And the last three that we're going to study next week if the Lord hasn't come. The next three we're going to study. We're going to see how they relate to the second harvest, which is the second coming. See the division? The spring feast and the fall feast. First coming, second coming. <clears throat> so this is all about, these four we're studying today are about His first coming. And they've already been fulfilled and are being fulfilled right now. The last three have it. Okay? <clears throat> Anybody getting anything out of this? <sighs> you better. As much time as I spent... Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. I stayed up all night long studying this. So you better get something out of it. If you don't, come see me. Hallelujah. Holy convocations, Sabbath days, along with the regular weekly Sabbath day. A day when they were not to work. They were to rest. They were to focus on God. Okay? Rehearsals, uh, convocations, rehearsals. Spring feast first coming, appointed times. Now, on the tenth day, remember God delivered Israel out of Egypt, right? He told them to take a lamb. Take it the tenth day. Put it outside your house on the tenth day. And then the fourteenth day, kill the lamb. Apply the blood in three places. That's the Passover lamb. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And when, whenever he came through and destroyed all the rest of, uh, you know, people that didn't have the blood applied, the firstborn, 
of those who didn't have the blood applied, God's people walked out, walked through the blood, and went on their way, set free from sin, Egypt, set free from the world, Egypt, and set free from the devil, Pharaoh. They were redeemed people by the blood of the Lamb. So that when they walked through the door, they walked through the blood. Are you here? And the land that they, that they, after they, we'll get into this a little bit, but they shed the blood of the Lamb, then they roasted it. They roasted it in the shape of a cross. Okay? Now, look at it. Tenth day, set it apart. Historically, in Exodus 11 and 12. Prophetically in the future about Jesus Christ. Did he fulfill it? Moses gave it 1,500 years before Jesus came into the world. The transcendence of God is awesome. You will never, oh God is so awesome. You'll never be able to grasp him. A typology given 1,500 years before Jesus Christ comes and he fulfills it perfectly, exactly, every minute, every hour, and every detail. Only God can do that. <clears throat> but let's look at the historical. Set aside on the 10th day. Slain on the 14th day. Oh, wow. They travel three days from there into the wilderness. Come to the Red Sea. Are you here? And on the 17th day, the third day, they cross the Red Sea and come up, up on the other, other side. And the 17th day is the first day of the week. It happened on a Sunday. It didn't happen on the Sabbath. It happened on the first day they came out of the Red Sea. Hang in here. All right. Now let's just look at, look and see what did Jesus do when He came? Well, John the Baptist stands up in John 1, 29 and says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's the true Lamb of God. So now who's the lamb? We found out. John tells us who he is. He's Abel's lamb. He's the lamb of Passover. He's all the lambs of the Old Testament that were offered. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I am studying covenants right now. And I'm telling you, it's all about Jesus and his love for you. The whole Bible is a love story. The whole Bible is a love story from God to us. The whole book. <clears throat> Behold, the Lamb of God was taken away the sin of the world. And guess what He did? On the tenth day of the first month, our correlating our March or April, we'll just say April the tenth. He walks over, he looks at Jerusalem and he weeps over Jerusalem. Cries over them. Next day, he goes up with the ninth day. He, before that, he's in the house of, of Lazarus there, the tenth day. Weeping over Jerusalem the tenth day, guess what he does? He comes riding into Jerusalem. Oh, and we call it Palm Sunday. How they get the palm branches down. They start singing. They start celebrating. They start worshiping. And they begin to cry, Hosanna in the highest, which means, save us, Lord. We need to be saved. Hosanna is in the highest. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord on the tenth day, no less.
so that he set he set apart on the 10th day and when he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday guess what's happening oh I'm tempted brother Obed but I'm not going to I was going to ask if you want to be a lamb but that's okay his sister said he's not, he not a lamb <laughs> he's a lion <laughs> he got a lion nature he don't have a lamb nature <laughs> praise the Lord but anyway, they, guess what? All these little lambs <clears throat> on the tenth day, the people got them, and they're taking them to the temple. Amen. And the high priest specifically is taking the lamb. Well, let me say a lamb, specific lamb, because Jesus is the lamb. But the high priest is taking a lamb that's going to be placed on the altar on the tenth day. No, no, but let me back up. I'm sorry. Uh-uh, uh-uh. He takes the lamb and puts it in the temple on the 10th day. And for four days in the temple, that lamb is examined from the top of its head to the bottom of its toes. And it's looked to see if there's any blemishes or any spots on that lamb for four days. So here comes Jesus. Uh, he's going to fulfill it. He walks into the temple on the 10th day. And there he is for four days being examined by the high priest and those around him. And they come to him and they ask him very difficult questions. Jesus, what about this? Jesus, what about this? They're trying to find a blemish. They're trying to find fault. So there he is in the temple. Okay. On the 14th day, the offering of the Passover is going to take place. The high priest takes the lamb, puts it on the altar. It lays there from 9 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Six hours waiting for death. Come on, somebody. They take Jesus, the Lamb of God. They take Him at the ninth hour, the Bible says. He carries His cross up to Golgotha. They place Him on that tree. And for six hours, He is awaiting His death. Why? Three o'clock in the afternoon, the high priest ascends the altar. He takes out a knife. He cuts, he kills that uh, lamb right there. The blood is shed. The lamb dies at exactly three o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus Christ cries out, it is finished. And he gives up the ghost and he dies. <laughs> and the high priest, when he killed the lamb in the temple, guess what he said? He said, it is finished. And at the same time, the high priest is saying, it is finished. Jesus Christ, the true Lamb of God, says, it is finished. Come on, somebody. 1,500 years. And he fulfills exactly to the day and to the hour. <clears throat> well, it's not over yet. He has to be taken off the cross before the beginning, or before the evening, before the night of the next the 15th day, which is going to start another feast. So they get him off the cross before evening. They put him in the tomb, right? Okay, but don't forget that after the 14th day, the lamb was slain. The 17th day, Israel came to the Red Sea. They were hopeless. They looked up behind them. Pharaoh's coming after them. All they think now is death, death, death. It's hopeless. It's death, death, death. We're going to die. So on the 17th day, the first day of the week, guess what God does? He said, you're backed up in a corner and it looks like death. And there's no hope there. 
So he said, I'm going to make a way where there is no way. Oh, come on, somebody. God is able to make a way where there is no way. He's the way maker. In fact, he's the way. So he just opens up the Red Sea. And here goes Israel. They start walking through the Red Sea. They come up on the other side, literally almost as though they were coming out of death. They walk out on new ground, on resurrection ground. They are alive unto God and not dead. They're alive and not dead. On the first day of the week, no less. And Jesus on the first day of the week, He is risen from the dead. He is alive unto God. And no wonder... When they get through the Red Sea. We're alive unto God, praise the Lord. And they begin to dance before the Lord. And Miriam. Miriam took her tambourine. Said, come on, ladies. We're going to have church. She got her tambourine started. Hallelujah. Bible said she started dancing. I mean, she leaped up and spin around. So that when you repent of your sins, you get in resurrection ground, friend. You become a worshiper unto God. Because God buries the devil. He buries your sin. And He buries the world. Now, the word feast means this. It means a celebration. It means literally to jump up and spin around. So that when they observed these feasts, it wasn't. They were dancing in the streets. They were worshiping. They were leaping up and spinning around. It was a celebration. Listen, when you really get God, that's what's going to happen to you. It's not going to be a ritual. It's going to be a, woo, a celebration. Hallelujah. And if there's something that I don't like, is that that's dead Pentecostalism I don't want nothing to do with it because all it is was religion with Pentecostalism labeled come on what we've got friend is alive say it's alive they come up on resurrection ground you're standing on resurrection ground it's celebration time Some of y'all who are having troubles with your Christian walk and your Christianity, if you'll just learn to start celebrating, a lot of your problems will go down the tube. But you want to hold on to your religion and be formal. Well, I'll get back, get back to, the, to how it applies to us. But then on the 15th night, guess what they did? 15th. Well, the Passover had been killed on the 14th. They're still sitting there. And the Bible says on the 15th, beginning of the evening of the 15th, they celebrate unleavened bread. And for seven days, it's associated with the Feast of Passover, they observe a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
when they take the matzah or the bread that doesn't have leaven inside of it, they ate the lamb, they ate the bread, and they ate bitter herbs, reminded them of their bitterness and their hard labor in Egypt. How many of y'all remember what it was like to be in the world? How it was hard labor. It was tough. It was rough. You had a rough taskmaster. The devil was your master. Now God is your master and he's so good to you. He, he's so good to you. Amen. I remember what it's like out in the world. I don't want nothing to do with it. God is good to us, church. <coughs> but for seven days, they observe Feast of Unleavened Bread. The lamb is eating the bread. Bitter herbs. Now listen to me. I want to tell you something. You've got to have the blood applied. Repent. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Be full of the Holy Ghost. But you also have to eat the lamb. That means you have to feed on the Word. If you don't feed on the lamb, you're not going to make the journey. God said you got the blood applied, but you got to eat the lamb. If you don't eat the lamb, you're not going to have the strength to make the journey. If you don't come to church and hear the Word preach, if you don't get in the Word and read it for yourself, and you don't study, you're not going to have enough strength to make it in these days. You will not make it. That's why God said eat the lamb. Oh, I don't have a lot of time here. Listen, they could have said, well, I don't want to kill the lamb. He's too pretty. Well, you're still in your sin. Kill the lamb. Apply the blood. I don't want to apply the blood. Apply the blood or you're, you're, not, you're going to still be in your sin, right? right? Well, okay, I kill the lamb. I apply the blood, but I don't want to eat the lamb. I'm not hungry. You better eat the lamb because you're fixed to go on a long journey and you're going to need strength to make it. Eat the lamb, the Lord said. Well, some say, well, I don't really need to eat the lamb. You don't need to eat the lamb? Really? Okay, well, you'll die in the wilderness then, okay? So they ate the lamb, came out of Egypt, full of the lamb, and the Bible says all of them were healed. A miracle took place. Some of you, you know what you need? You just need to get full of God and get full of the Word of God and you'll be okay. God will heal you. Well, they ate the bread, and I'll get into that in just a little bit, but they ate the bread. But he said also, put your shoes on your feet. Put your clothes on your body because you're fixing to leave. Take your staff in your hand. Put your feet. Get all your clothes on. I mean, you know what he said? Well, they could have said, well, I'm tired. I think I'll go to sleep. I've, I've uh, uh, killed the lamb, applied the blood, ate the lamb, ate the herbs and all this. And I think I'm just going to lay down. I'm a little tired. God said, no, you be ready. You have your clothes on your body. You have your shoes on your feet. Because when they leave, if you're not ready, you will be left behind. So God's telling you, you better be full of the Lamb, and you better have your clothes on your body. You better be prepared because the rapture is going to take place, and if you're just playing games with God, you're going to be left behind. Yes, come on. All right. <clears throat> well, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it begins on the 15th, <clears throat> all leaven is removed. Am I doing okay? Do you remember? Do you know? All leaven, all leaven is removed out of the house when they celebrate this. Because leaven is a type of sin. So they go into their houses and guess what they do? They get the big loaves first. <laughs> leaven, throw it out. Oh, but I just bought that today. Or, or yesterday, not today, but yesterday. <laughs> throw it out. Oh, 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 but it's so dear to me. Uh, it's just a little sin. I don't know if I can make it without it. Oh, it's just a little thing. God said, get leaven out of your house. Throw it. 
make a keen, clean break. But God, I just bought it yesterday. I love the Lord, don't you? <laughs> well, after they got all the big pieces of bread out, which is your lying, cheating, cussing, dipping, smoking, and, and drinking, and all this chasing women, men, and all that stuff. Oh, oh, oh. That's the big lows. You're smoking your weed, all that's the big lows. Got rid of them first, but then you know what? You go and get the little stuff too. And even you get the little crumbs and, and everything. And if you see a little mouse run across the floor, he's got a crumb of leavened bread. You go chase him down and you get that piece of leavened bread. Because you've got to get all leaven out of, out of your house. <clears throat> and that's holiness. That's holiness. God said, I redeemed you. Are you with me? But you've got to get leaven out of your house. Get rid of the big stuff first and then the little stuff. And even the little bitty crumbs of leaven. And they, listen, they were so particular about it that they lit a candle and they shut the lights out in the evening and they went and looked in every corner for sin. And when you get saved, that's when the search for everything in your life that grieves God begins to be thrown away. Somebody shout amen. But God is just a little crumb. God's going to keep talking to you and putting conviction on you until you get rid of everything that grieves Him. All right, we'll get into that in a little bit. Over down in here. Boy, I'm already... All right, the ceremony of the... the I believe you say this, the Ephacomen. Ephacomen, okay? During this feast right here of unleavened bread, they eat these things... Uh, the, the bread, the bitter herbs, but there's a celebration or a ceremony that's associated with it. They take the piece of bread, the matzah, okay? They take it out and they break it and they wrap it in a little white linen cloth and they bury it. And the children go and try to steal it, all right? But the father, and the, but the father has to retrieve it because before he, if he don't retrieve the bread, then the ceremony can't continue. So his father goes and he retrieves it, right? The broken, buried, wrapped bread. Bring it out. Celebration continues. So that now, again, we have a perfect fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He was broken. Not his bones, but his body was broken. He was wrapped and he was buried. But the father retrieved him. So the next feast can be entered into. Are you with me still? Somebody say amen. After 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed, they could no longer offer blood, uh, the lambs as a sacrifice, so the bread became, the matzah became the lamb. And they still do it today. And they don't even realize it, but it's all about Jesus. And many of the Jews are sitting there going through the Feast of Unleavened Bread, celebrating it. They don't realize that Jesus was broken, buried, and He's been retrieved. But it's right there in their feast. But we know. <clears throat> If, if I forget the green, somebody shout, don't forget the green. I'm not letting you read it right now. After unleavened bread, there is the first fruits. It's three days after Passover. They celebrate it three days after Passover. It's called the Feast of First Fruits. And it's the first day after the Sabbath. It's on a Sunday. It's on a Sunday. Say it's on a Sunday. It's a type of resurrection. The 17th day came up resurrection ground. Three days later, God said, okay, to commemorate it, 
have a feast called the Feast of First Fruits. Okay? Um, the day after the Sabbath. When did Jesus rise from the dead? On a Sunday. The day after the Sabbath. Hang in here. First fruits, after the Passover, Israel traveled three days in the wilderness. All hope was lost. God opens the Red Sea. Uh, they climb out on the resurrection ground alive. The 17th day, the first day of the week. It's uh, first fruits of barley harvest. First Corinthians 15, 20 through 23 tells you that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. That means he fulfilled that right there. It's a picture of resurrection. Because you bury the grain in the ground and it dies, but then it comes up out of the ground alive. And Jesus is the first fruits. Now remember on the first fruits, the high priest took the wave sheep. He offered the lamb with it. The first, uh, the, the wave sheep represents Matthew 20. Seven, I believe it is, where the Bible talks about when Jesus died on the cross, the graves were opened up, and at his resurrection, they come up out of the grave. So we've got the first fruits coming up out of the grave. Some of those that slept, not all of them, came up out of the grave. Are you here with me? So that Jesus is the first fruits, they were the wave sheep. But following the wave sheep, guess what happens? The main harvest takes place. It's a long interval, right? But there's going to be a main harvest. Now hang in here. The resurrection. It's a guarantee. Jesus' resurrection in those wave sheep is a guarantee that if you're a child of God, born again, buried in the grave, you're coming out. But everyone in your own order. Not at the same time. Read 1 Corinthians 15. I don't have time to get into it today. But Okay. <clears throat> the day following the Sabbath is when this takes place. Isn't it awesome to know that God had everything on an appointed time and on a schedule and He fulfilled everything just exactly like He was supposed to? John 6, 51, He says, I am the bread. Read it. It's appointed times. All right. Let's go to Pentecost real quick. Forty days after first fruits. Forty days after the resurrection. Jesus Christ. What does he do? Ascends up. He was with the disciples for 40 days after the resurrection. He, gets, he goes up to heaven. Ten days later, on the 50th day, the Holy Ghost is poured out on the day of Pentecost. But what is Pentecost? 50 days after the Red Sea experience, they find, Israel finds themselves at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God gives His revelation. He gives His law. It's a witness about the Messiah. It's a witness about the Christ. It's a witness about Himself. It's a revelation of Himself. And there's fire and there's wind. And the rabbis say, traditional, they believe this, that when God spoke His law, He didn't just speak it in the Hebrew language, but He spoke it in every known tongue in the world so that every nation heard the voice of God when He gave His command. <clears throat> and that's 50 days after coming out of the Red Sea. Somebody say amen. 53 days after Passover. 50 days after coming up. Right, do you see all of this now? Oh, on the Pentecost, uh, what happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, read it. 50 days after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the first day after the Sabbath on a Sunday, Pentecost happens, just like the Word of God says, that's when you're to start it, first day after the Sabbath. Amen? Oh, wow, well, they're all gathered together in one place in one accord, and suddenly there came a, what? 
a sound and a rushing mighty wind and what happened to them cloven tongues of the fire set upon each of them so listen to me God put it on the inside of you he let the wind he let his word he let the fire get inside of us we are believers and we are to go And we are to go into this world with the fire and the wind of God and the Word of God on the inside of us. And we are to be witnesses. We have the revelation of God. We have His Word. We are to tell everybody. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> are y'all getting this? You see it's how it's fulfilled? Say it's fulfilled. Now, right now, okay, on the day of Pentecost, the church was born. Amen? I know I'll put it somewhere. I thought up there. Is it in the green? Okay, I won't. <laughs> now I lost my trade of thought. No, I didn't either. Yeah, you're right. It is in the green. The church is born on the day of Pentecost. They became, Israel became a nation. God made them a nation at Mount Sinai. It is the only, listen to me, other than the church, is the only people that God ever made a nation out of. We, people make their own nations, but God made this nation. And they became a nation at Mount Sinai. Now, when we are born in the kingdom of God, we are a holy people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Okay, the church was born the day of Pentecost by God himself at an appointed time. But he is showing us that every one of us have to have our own Pentecost. But you have to have Passover or you can't have Pentecost. And if you don't have Pentecost, you don't have the Feast of Trumpets, which we'll get in next time. You've got to have them all. And I'm going to show you. God said you can't, you can't observe the next feast following unless you've observed the previous. Oh, come on, somebody. <laughs> Well, what about all these churches? They haven't experienced the Holy Ghost. They need it. They need it. Never kid yourself. Don't play games and think religion is going to take the place of what God wants to do. Somebody say amen. Talk to yourself. Say, I, I got to have that experience. I want it. I need it. It's in the plan of God. It's an appointed time. All right. Are you with me? <clears throat> two loaves on that day, the Bible says, two loaves were taken by the high priest. They have on the inside of them leaven. And there's two of them. But they got leaven in them. What is leaven? It's a type of corruption. It's a type of sin. The high priest is the only, listen, only, only time that he could walk in there and offer God something that's got leaven in it. So he walks in there and guess what he does? Oh, I'm sorry I'm boring y'all. Either you're thinking or you're about to go out. I'm going to talk with you. At, you don't know. I, if you go to sleep on me after I... S <clears throat> Two loaves of bread. High priest walks in before God. First fruits. That was the first fruits of the barley harvest. First fruits is... Pentecost is the wheat harvest. This is the first fruits of the wheat harvest. There's about a three-month interval, I believe it is, between that and the Feast of Trumpets, which is where we are right now, the church age. 
But the high priest walks in there. He waves these loaves before God. One represents Gentiles, one represents the Jews. He walks in there. And this is way back, way back, 1,500 years or so that God gives all these things. But it's appointed times, things to come. So he's waving these loaves. Got leaven in them. Which tells me it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. When you get in, in the church, you become one in Christ. And when you get in the church, the church is not a perfect place. For all you funny people that are out there trying to find a perfect church, just go live in your house. Because you're never going to find one. You are, you're the only perfect one, so go. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go, have, go over there. Yeah. D- d- yeah. There is none. Yeah! Okay, well, anyway. <clears throat> that doesn't condone the problem, and that doesn't accept the problem. It's saying we got to get the leaven out, which is unleavened bread. Get it out. But God still recognizes it. It's the Word of God. It's the Word that must be preached under the anointing of the Holy Ghost that brings us under conviction to let us know what is wrong so we can get rid of it out of our lives. It's the light that is reflected in the corners that show us what is wrong. Somebody say Amen. Now, what is happening here is this. Is these two loaves are waved before God with leaven in them. Because God knows about the church. He knows about you. <laughs> oh, I got it all covered up. I even got God fooled. <clears throat> I come to church, act like I'm on fire, be as cold. Uh, as the ice in the refrigerator and the ice in the icebox, man. Nobody will know, but yeah, yeah, God knows. <clears throat> What about this waving? <clears throat> Here goes your dead dry religion stuff. All you people that love that pew. <clears throat> Man, I got hard pews because I don't want you sitting. Some of y'all sitting in the back on the soft stuff. <laughs> Watch out. But the wave loaves, the wave right there, it shows you what happens on the day of Pentecost. When they got filled with the Holy Ghost, they begin to sway under the power of the Holy Ghost. When you get the Holy Ghost, somebody's going to see you doing this. Somebody's going to see you running and jumping and shouting. And it's not like the old song sings, swaying with the music. Where in the world that came from? Oh, my mind, my memory process, I get. But it's swaying in the power of the Holy Ghost. So that I have been in church where the power of God was so awesome that when people gave themselves to God, they left the church service drunk on the Spirit of God. You get full of the Spirit, get drunk on the Spirit of God, you won't have to go and tend the bars. You won't have to sway to the worldly, sway to the music song. You come to church and sway to the Holy Ghost and the move of God and the Word of God. Ah. 
made a fine flower, first fruits of the wheat harvest. So you see this? This is the first coming of the Lord, and, and it's fulfilled in Him. It applies to us, all significant Passover repentance by us. First step. Say first step. And by the way, when I get to the other feast, I'm going to prove to you the pre-tribulation rapture. So all of you who, I know I hear a lot of that stuff, the, the after the, you know, after tribulation starts and that post-trib and all that, I hear all that, but I'm going to show you what the Word says. Because the pattern's all the way in the Old Testament. We had the first feast, first coming feast fulfilled, the second coming feast are also going to be fulfilled. But we have Passover's repentance by us. That's when we die to ourself. But I don't want to die. <clears throat> We die daily. You repent daily. That means you say no to things that don't glorify God. Okay. Here I go. Here I go. Hang in. Hang here a minute with me. I'm going to help some of you. And this is really truly indeed is to help you. When God says something in your word, in His word, even if I don't understand it, okay? And even if I don't see anything wrong with it, if God said it, that's all it takes. Come on. Walk over here with me. Y'all with me? Say, I'm with you. Are you with me? Say, I'm with you. <clears throat> right here, this little tree here that's got the, the fruit of the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. Eve walked up to it. God said, don't eat it. She could have said, well, I don't understand, God. It's such a pretty tree. It doesn't look like it's evil. But God said, don't eat it. And you, the day you eat it, you're going to die. But I don't see anything wrong with it. it don't, I don't look like evil. I don't understand, God. You've got to go beyond the natural mind which looks at things. says, I don't see where the problem is with that. I don't understand how that could be wrong. But if God said it in His Word, He is trying to show you that that is all it takes. <clears throat> you don't have to understand it. Are you listening to me? And you don't have to understand it. And it doesn't have to look bad. If God said no, He said no. If He says yes, He said yes. And that settles it. Period. <clears throat> so that God has given me a revelation. When people ask me questions, I don't understand. I'm going to say, well, He said it. That's all I know. So let's just go on. <laughs> and if I can't explain, I will. But I don't have to explain everything. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God's really talking to some of you. Because for a long time in your own conscience, in your own natural brain, you've been looking at things and saying, I really don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't understand, so I'm exempt. Okay. Yeah. Die to yourself. Which says yes to God, even when you don't understand, even when it don't look bad, saying yes, to, come on somebody, I listen to people all the time with their hogwash philosophy. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I shouldn't have said that. But it doesn't bother my conscience preacher. And I don't see where it's wrong. In fact, I think God even told me to do it. 
Uh-huh. Take your natural philosophy and flush it down the drain. We're living by the book. We're preaching the book. Holiness. And we've lost some because of it, and we will lose some more because of it. But God's not looking for a big people church. He's looking for a big convert church. And we don't want to lose you, but God's word is supreme. And if we lose you because we preach the word, sorry, bye, we love you, but we're still preaching the book. And some of them have left and got mad because I preached holiness. And I know why they left. And they sit there and talk, 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 chatter, chatter, chatter. I know what it is. They don't want to die to themselves. <clears throat> Repentance, Colossians 3, 2 3, Romans 6, 1 and 2. Y'all write that down. Oh, I'm having fun. Are you having fun this morning? <clears throat> How many of y'all still rejoicing? And some of y'all called call me and asked me questions, and I thank God for them because God has to help me and give me revelation and understanding. So when you call me, go ahead, call me. That way God can help me. Say amen. Hallelujah. Unleavened bread. Well, get rid of the leaven. What you got to do is you got to get baptized first, and that removes sin. And Jesus Christ was placed in the tomb, buried in a sepulcher during that feast day. Type of us being buried with Him in baptism, having your sin removed. Hallelujah. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. And then after that comes, oh, I, I don't want y'all to see that. What does that say? Holy living. It's not negative. It's the most pos positive, powerful word in the Word of God. Thank God He didn't leave me in my old ways. <clears throat> well, let me give you a few verses. Oh, yeah, thank you, man. Y'all are so good. You can read my writing when I can't read my own. That's Exodus 19, 5 through 6. I said, Ephesians 19. Well, some of y'all wouldn't have caught that. Oh, Ephesians 19, bro? <laughs> I think there's only six in Ephesians. But Exodus 19. <laughs> well, y'all read it later on about keeping the word of the Lord, Okay. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, getting rid of the leaven. Get rid of it. Get, he's telling the church to get rid of the leaven. Get rid of it. 2 Timothy 2, 19 continues, all right? Living holy before God. So you see the, the repentance, baptism for remission of sins, living a holy life. And then the first fruits is what? We arise to walk in newness of life. The old things have passed away. Egypt's behind us. Pharaoh's behind us. The sin, the world, the devil's all behind us drowned. I came out of the water. My sins were left behind. I came up to walk in newness of life. <clears throat> I've got a new life. If you don't have a new life, somebody say amen. God wants to, he's showing you, he wants to give us a new life. Oh, goodness. And then, <clears throat> the church is born. Each of us must have our own baptism. Here, John 3, 3 through 5, Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. 
Romans 8, 8 through 10, talk about being born of the Spirit. 1 Peter 2, 9, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people. Hallelujah, that we should show forth the praise of Him who has brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So do you see this right now, that all of these feasts, and I may have taught some of this to you before, but I'm, I'm telling you, friend, this is awesome. It is God's plan and purpose and revelation in advance. And we are experiencing it. So let me go here and I'm going to close with this. Old Testament Sabbaths. Whether they were holy convocations associated with the feast or the seventh day of the week, the rest was in a day in the Old Testament. And the sign of the law, the, the law of Moses, the sign that was given from God to them was the Sabbath day. Okay? But notice... The first day of the week, resurrection. First day of the week, Holy Ghost outpouring. Sunday, Jesus rose. Sunday, the church was born. So that there will be no confusion when you understand that we are no longer under the Old Testament ritual of observing the Sabbath because it's no longer in a day, it's in a spirit. In the Old Testament, it was a day of rest. In the New Testament, it's the spirit of rest. In the Old Testament, it was a <clears throat> sign of the law. In the New Testament, tongues are the sign you've been filled with the Spirit. In the Old Testament, it was the seventh day. On the, in the New Testament, it's the first day. So that if I observe the seventh day Sabbath, no problem. Not a problem at all. Mm -mm. And people that do it, Lord bless you. You're learning a lot about Messiah. You're learning a lot about Jesus. Go ahead. In fact, could I come? <laughs> but when you understand what covenant you're under, all confusion will leave. Okay? Now, don't be surprised if I start holding... No, nah, I don't know. I don't know. Unless God tells me. But if I start holding Saturday night services, don't be surprised. It's so we can learn more of Him. It's not putting you under the bondage of the law. <clears throat> And I'm still learning if that's what God wants. It's all His show. It's His show. It's not my show. It's His show. <clears throat> and if that's what God wants and He wants me, us to observe the feast so we can get a greater revelation of Him, come on. I'm, I don't... I'm, I'm, I'm open. Come on, somebody. I'm open. I want to know God. It's His show. But we're not under it as a command from God. I believe that's I believe that, and I believe that's why that we have these day following the Sabbath on the resurrection day and day following the Sabbath on the Sunday. It's all in him. Somebody say amen. So is Sunday the Sabbath? No. It's a time when we get together and worship and praise the Lord. If it's Monday, or if it's Tuesday, or it's Wednesday, or it's a Thursday, or a Friday, whatever. The Spirit of God, when you get filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is the finger of God. And this finger of God writes the law of God inside of you. So that when you're taught the Word of God, the moral law is still for us. Ceremonial law reveals God to us. Are you with me? 
when we're taught it, the Spirit of God has already put it inside of you. So you're saying, yes, I want to do it, and it gives you the power to do it. The law didn't give you the power to do it. The Spirit gives you the power to do it because the Spirit is the finger of God inside of you, and He's going, no, 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 uh-uh, no, yes, 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 yes. You're, oh, you're on the right road. Yes, yes, yes. Thank God. Stand with me, please. <clears throat> when I repented, He forgave me. When I was baptized, my living was removed, and I'm removing it now. I'm walking a new life. I've been born of the Spirit. What's next? What's next? Rosh Hashanah. Are you here? Feast of trumpets. <laughs> Day of atonement. Feast of tabernacles. Every one of them associated with the second coming, the fall feast, the fall harvest. Next week when you leave this place, you will understand the prophetic patterns of God. So that you don't you won't get full of fear and everything. Thinking, I'm in the tribulation. I'm fixed to go in there. Because if it don't line up with the Old Testament in every way, it's not the truth. Amen. <clears throat> So I went through, now, if I would have gone through all these ceremonies and all these things, it would have been even more blessing to you. But I want to tell you something. I'm not going to stand up here and preach everything to you. I'm going to try to inspire your old study. If I can get you to inspire study, study things for yourself, that I've done my job. I can't give it all to you. Listen to me. And I, listen, you need more than what I can preach to you. You need more than what I can feed you. You need to read the Bible for yourself. You need to study it for yourself. It needs to become something dear to you. You need to understand it. And so I'm just simply trying to, what I try to show you here is to inspire study for you. Put your hands together. Clap them unto the Lord. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Let's sing, Sister Angie. Amen. <clears throat> Aren't you glad you know the Lord today?